0: There's just a human tendency as part of human nature to look for ways to gain power over other people or to look down on other people, or to justify our own problems, I suppose, and project. And because the symptoms, the external symptoms of ADHD that are commonly seen look a lot, awful lot like a lack of conscientiousness. So I think a lot of the bias comes from everybody's tendency to want to shame other people so that they can justify their own lack and and uh, shortcomings.
1: This is the Get Med Savvy Podcast, on a mission to empower individuals to make more informed choices through practical
0: discussions of medicine and the business of healthcare, with your host, Tiffany Ryder.
2: Just a reminder, although I am a licensed healthcare clinician, my ramblings here are just that, and should never be construed as medical advice. The primary care team are the real heroes, and you should definitely check with yours.
0: Now, here's Tiffany.
2: I am so excited to share today's episode. I had the awesome opportunity to interview Dr. Gary Bullock. Dr. Bullock is a family medicine specialist who, after 21 years of practicing clinical medicine, has fully committed himself to coaching entrepreneurs, clinicians, and their family members who have a diagnosis of ADHD. Gary really gets it. He understands that medication alone is never the answer and that behavior modification is required for people with ADHD to thrive. He understands that it is almost impossible to find someone truly educated on ADHD and knowledgeable and able to coach behavior modification. So he has set out to really fill some of that void. So really excited to share our conversation. Hey,
1: everyone. Today, we have Gary Bullock here to talk with us. Hey, Gary. Hello. So I am super excited about this show. I know I say that every time, but it's because I only like drop court shows with people that I think are, are doing incredible things in the world. You and I have got a lot in common, and I'm just really looking forward to getting into it. If you don't mind, just start off by telling us what you're doing in the world.
0: Yeah. So I'm trained as a family medicine doctor. Uh, which I, I did for 21 years. Along the way, through events in my family and in my own life, I gained an interest in what attention deficit actually is, the science behind it, the anthropology, genetics. And and I'm just fascinated by that whole history, how there's a diagnosis that's actually based on a survival gene that's not an abnormality, it's just not average. And the idea that it untreated increases the risk of mortality by age 40 by twice the normal, but treated, it actually can pretty much for all intents and purposes go away while the, the survival genes attached to it still do the good that they can do. Kind of like an overnight cure after 10 years of hard work, that sort of thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting into it because for whatever reason, uh, this, is a polarized topic, I find. Um, You know, when you talk to people, whether it's people in medicine or uh just people on the street, everybody has an opinion about is ADHD real? Is it not real? How do we treat it? So I'd love to start by uh, maybe just telling the story of how you and I connected. I don't know if you remember, but I'm happy to share. i had posted something about note writing and about how I incessantly write notes. I always have notes at the end of my shift. And there were many very kind-hearted, wonderful people who just said things like write them at the same time or just write less words or what have you. And you had chimed in with something insightful. And I think that's a really great place for us to start.
0: Yeah. So... you actually called me at the time when I'm still kind of new to LinkedIn uh, by the nature of of leaving medicine and going full-time into coaching ADHD behaviors. And LinkedIn just seemed like a natural place to to reach out to other professionals who are in the same domain. And yeah, I, I remember reading something you had written about that and then remembering back to Dr. Hobbs, our faculty advisor at the Medical College of Georgia, where I trained, just making such a big deal about Charting after each patient before going to the next one and just thinking well that that just doesn't seem like a wise way to group your tasks or whatever and then I think all of us kind of fell away because you know we were young and we knew everything sure. in the world and still couldn't figure out why we would have hundred open charts at the end of the month and had people round <laughs> by medical records and chased down and then that trend continued with every hospital I've worked out ever since as far as seeing that, that same pattern. I almost like if I don't chart now, There's an exponential drop-off in the likelihood of being charted anytime soon. And now with uh, certain rules about charting within 48 hours or whatever, it's become more important. So just getting out of the curve on that, it seemed like a good idea to, to chime in about, well, functionally... You can tell somebody who's a clinician with ADHD that you really need to start now because you know how things get with procrastination and all that. And we'll know that's right. But one of the praises, uh, Russell Barkley, the, the guru on ADHD, likes to talk about is, ADHD is never not knowing what to do. It's always not doing what you know, which is part of the frustration <laughs> and self flagellation sure. of like, why can't I ever do this? Why am I still 400 charts behind? I don't even know who this patient is. So yeah, not to go on about that, but it was a good connection. Yeah.
1: yeah, so what I, I mean, I think the, My initial thoughts were, you know, when you put that comment in and you started talking about it, you know, you were talking about your history and your experience with ADHD and working with other clinicians who have ADHD and and how maybe that differs from a new clinician without the diagnosis. You know, you sent me a few documents right before we got started. And I wanted to just read an excerpt from one of the articles that you sent because it was so powerful to me. But it says, do you know a physician colleague who is always late to patient appointments or meeting? Do they submit their billing months late? Are they constantly behind in charting? Do they seem overwhelmed all the time? Have colleagues or patients complained that they were impatient, rude, or interrupting? Do they excel and focus in one area of practice very well, but other responsibilities are forgotten? Perhaps they're not prepared for the reality of medical practice, lack of practice management or coping skills or experience chronic stress. Perhaps they were always like that. Perhaps you ignore it, provide some suggestions or tips, or you think they're just not up for the job. And that paragraph, you know, really resonated with me. I thought it was a great way to look at how someone who perhaps doesn't have ADHD might view those of us with ADHD. So I didn't know if you um, maybe could, you know, just talk with us about different maybe myths or stigmas that people have about kids or adults who have ADHD. Yeah,
0: good question. That really is where the conversation needs to start. I'll be the first to admit I was in medical school thinking and parroting, just mindlessly parroting what I'd heard the culture say about ADHD not knowing I had it. Um, oh, it's too much caffeine. It's this generation that grows up watching TV and cartoons and there's no discipline anymore, et cetera, et cetera. All those same things, not having any clue what I was actually talking about. And then, you know, when, when you're in training, you get maybe an hour lecture out of four years, an hour, mm-hmm. uh, where it's mentioned in the context of ADD, OCD, other neuro things like autism. and, you know, you, you study the material to find the uh, five multiple choice question mm-hmm. answers, memorize those, and now you're you're a self-proclaimed expert on the topic. Just like anything. Sure. It's like we know what we know, but we're not unaware of what we don't know. And so that's what that's what causes the pain.
1: It resonates with my personal experience. Um, when I uh for those of you who aren't PA, the way PA school works is we do a Three semesters of just gaining knowledge in the classroom, uh, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. And then we move on to a clinical year where we basically do four or five week rotations and all these different specialties. And I had, you know, started this journey thinking, oh, I would love to, you know, learn more about pediatrics or psychiatry, these like office based, very, you know, quote, work life balance friendly um, specialties. I have kids. I love uh, having a schedule. I thrive on a schedule. And by knowing that I had ADHD already, I'd been diagnosed as an adult. I thought there was no chance I would do well in the ICU, in the emergency department, in surgery. And honestly, those were the three places that I just excelled. I mean, just like Better than all, you know, uh, than many of my colleagues. Like I did exactly what what you just described. I came in early, I stayed late. And the interesting thing to me was that I was just engrossed. I didn't have to fight to to stay focused. I didn't have to fight to do the right thing. Um, to do the thing that I knew I had to do. It was like when I was in surgery, I could just stand there for ten hours and do the right thing, and pay attention, and never move my hand when I wasn't supposed to, which I later learned was, you know, the hyper-focus phenomenon, and that the acuity of these situations, Mm -hmm. you know, encouraged that in people like me. But it was enough that it was really strange to me at the time. I didn't really understand that. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with that personally. And, you know, now I'm in the emergency department, and I I can see that in many of my colleagues, and and that makes sense.
0: Hindsight's not only 2020. Hindsight's kind of a liar too because it distorts our perceptions. But growing up with ADHD and realizing later, maybe it's an adult that you have it if you're diagnosed as a kid. And since diagnosis runs about one out of 10 people actually being diagnosed, it's kind of like the fish and water metaphor where the last person to know about water is a fish because they've just been around it their whole lives. They don't even see it as something because it's always been there. And so there's a high correlation between restless leg syndrome and ADHD as well. I remember diagnosing a lot of people with restless leg and going through the criteria myself thinking, well, everybody, you know, has trouble staying calm at night and not moving around or having the middle seat in an airplane. Yep. Oh, okay. wait, that's no, bad. this is just me and my family, too. So, yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where if you're too close to it, you can't see it.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. But so you said something that I have to bring up because, you know, I pitched this as being controversial and I think it is. But you said that it's underdiagnosed. And what I see, what I read about, that I, di- I haven't read the literature, but what I read in, you know, the New York Times is that we're overdiagnosing ADHD. So, you know, what is your interpretation from your practice, from your personal life, and, and from what you're seeing in the literature regarding under-over-diagnosis?
0: So just looking back to when I was parroting the same ideas that are prevalent in the culture, especially in medical culture, there's just a human tendency is part of human nature to look for ways to gain power over other people or to look down on other people to justify our own problems, I suppose, and project. And because the symptoms, the external symptoms of ADHD that are commonly seen look a lot, awful lot like a lack of conscientiousness, that not showing up on time from time blindness or uh, not completing a task that's been started. If those things are dull and boring, or if the event to show up for is something of, maximum importance is really dysfunction in the areas that are to the subconscious brain tedious, dull, and boring. Uh, But the things that are harder for any human to do are the things we tend to excel in because it's awakened that subconscious brain. So I think a lot of the bias comes from everybody's tendency to want to shame other people so that they can justify their own lack and uh, shortcomings. I know that, I mean, just speaking for myself, it was just one more way I could just unconsciously criticize other people. But then there's also this uh, perceived payoff. Why should somebody else get a legal prescription for something that is an addictive substance that I've heard people even categorize it as the same as cocaine and heroin? (laughs) Um, So here's the thing. If you have ADHD in the modern world, your perception of not, being able to see the world as other people do, and having to make up for those blind spots creates a constant backdrop on a day-to-day basis of excess adrenaline because we're always worried about the next time one of those blind spots bites us in the butt. So, Absolutely. hard to walk around like that. It really would be like having a visual scotoma, but you don't know where those blind spots are in the whole mm-hmm. um, arc of vision. Yeah, and so. And you don't even know that you have ADHD or you're barely aware of what ADHD is and you're trying to hide it. No, I just, I'll just work harder. I'll just work harder. And so it sets up this cycle where you do develop redundant pathways that do keep you from being late and do keep you from um, mm-hmm. forgetting this, this potassium level before you end your shift. But at what expense? It creates this yeah. unbelievable burden of excess work and tedium. So bring it back around. It's just easier for the culture to say, oh, it doesn't exist because I heard somebody else say it doesn't exist. And it's still the last clown car in medicine that we can still criticize without having to admit that we're showing prejudice and and a lot of self-righteous judgment. Yeah, In my experience in 20 years of treating people with ADHD and just interacting with the family, I don't know another group of patients except for the highly anxious or over-conscientious who do not want to use their diagnosis as an excuse for anything. Don't even want the medicine. Don't want any medicine overall. Like, it's just a migraine. I don't need the Motrin. Like, there's just this inherent fear of being dependent on anything for most people with ADHD. And good thing, because our tendency toward addictive substances or habits is much higher because of the whole dopamine connection. So in reality, no, it's underdiagnosed. It's about 4 to 14% of the population, depending on. What studies you look at, mm-hmm. it seems to be more like 14, but at least four. And the consequences of it going untreated or being in denial of it or even delaying diagnosis and treatment are, yeah. are catastrophic. And it's hard to connect the catastrophe to the diagnosis because what looks like another kid running his car into a telephone pole driving under the influence yep. has to be traced back to the ADHD not being treated or the teen pregnancy being traced back to impulsivity. Which again sounds like an excuse, but yep. it isn't. These are correlated through large population studies over many, <laughs> many decades.
1: Yeah. So this is something that I think is maybe, maybe goes unclear to other medical professionals. I paid attention because I already had my diagnosis, but this whole idea that we should shun the stimulant. Because, well, non-stimulants are available. Maybe those work. Or why wouldn't you take those? Or you could just turn your phone on silent and turn the notifications off or pay more attention, right? Like, like these are things that people say. um, And I think there's really a it's almost like a cognitive dissonance, right? Like we say, oh, well, I don't want my child to be addicted to this substance. So I'm going to not effectively treat their ADHD with a combination of you know behavioral and pharmacological interventions. And then what happens is you have a child who's addicted to substances. They're just different substances. And I don't know that that's something that we've really um, been willing to accept in society or uh, an idea that we've been willing to propagate, even though the research that I've seen is very clear uh, that that is an effect.
0: Now, I really want to make a huge point. One of the best things that helped me to quickly separate out a lot of the differences in how one individual with ADHD is going to manifest different from others. And I've got six kids. All of them have been diagnosed with ADHD by other people. They're, they're so different. They're so different. Uh, one who's turning down an honor scholarship to one university, another one who the local cops are surprised he actually made it into college. Like it's, it's just so widespread the different personalities. And once I understood, like there's one particular, and I think it's more objectively valid way of looking at human temperament, ADD or not, because we're tribal, uh, because we're more like pack wolves and any other kind of animal, humans weren't ma- made to be alone. We're supposed to work together toward common goals, et cetera. So there are five, general categories of the five temperaments and a person's going to have one main one that's their strength and one minor one that's their secondary strength and the other three they're just going to have to depend on other people to help them figure out life so you know you can look it up it's called the big five but it's open to new ideas which would be the artist the inventor etc you got the conscientious type dot the i cross the t the agreeable type who just wants the team to win even if they don't get to play you've got the disagreeable type uh, the contentious the competitive and then you've got the extrovert, who may not be the life of the party, but is just nat- has a natural proclivity to connect a person who needs something in the group to somebody who provides us something. Whatever you need, they they know a guy. They know a guy. They got a guy who fixes neon signs, whatever. So I'm open and creative, and I'm also very agreeable, which made me a great medical student, except for the sense of humor on rounds, but not very great at negotiating contracts, not very great with um, confrontational patients. At least not as a natural mm-hmm. strength as far as confrontation. Uh, my wife, who's an earth practitioner, um, and an excellent earth practitioner, she's conscientious by treating nature. And I've actually noticed that as a tendency among, among the advanced uh, nursing folks that they tend to have ADHD as an, as an underlying genetic nervous system trait. And then mm-hmm. their temperament more times than not is conscientious mix that with the adhd what you've got is adhd at the core with a superimposed self imposed ocd like an m&m with the candy coating of ocd on the outside sure. which works great they have all the benefits of adhd and then their employer and friends and family get the benefits of this person who's incredibly conscientious always gets it done washes the coffee cups out in the sink before leaving work on a friday afternoon because nobody else will but at the expense of enormous anxiety. Guarantee you each one of those people will have the bruxism, clenching their jaws at night, have the very spasmodic, uh, levator scapulae muscle Mm -hmm. without fail. All of them. Uh, or you might even be in that group. I don't want to call you out, you know? Yeah. I, you know,
1: I am in that group and, and I did, I didn't really see myself in that group before medical practice, but I think medical practice just amplified it. And my theory is, and, you know, for all the other advanced practice providers, uh, if you disagree with me, that's totally fine. Please don't hate me. Um, But as an advanced practice provider with ADHD, my theory is that advanced practice allows us a little bit more breathing room. We're all certainly intelligent enough to have gone to medical school and have done all of these things, but sometimes the executive functioning uh, hasn't quite been sorted out by the time that we needed to have it, have been sorted out so that we could have gotten, you know, the 4.0 on our undergrad or, you know, have done, right. have taken all the classes, had the foresight to say, oh, shoot, I should have started Chem 1 when I was a freshman so that I could have finished Chem, you know, or, or get a Chem 2 as a senior, right? Like, at least that was my journey and my story. And I wonder if that applies to other people but it's almost because of the system requirements and the age at which you have to have a either a very highly functioning family unit to sort of hold your hand and get you through or um, just well-developed personal executive functioning skills. I think that you end up with a lot of super smart people who are like, well, shoot, too late to go back and redo all of high school and undergrad. But also I'm uh, wicked smart. And I love medicine and I love science. So what the heck do I do? Oh, look, they have these positions I can apply to. And at least until this point, you know, what is it? Uh, August 2023, you can still get into um, a nurse practitioner DNP program or a PA program, you know, without having to absolutely have a four O in undergrad. I see that changing. Things like they're more and more you know, qualified applicants who are just never going to get in. But that's sort of thought on on why there might be a slant What do you think about that?
0: I definitely see those kind of tendencies educationally, especially since, you know, the majority of people with ADHD don't know they have it. But then you've got mm-hmm. varying levels of compensation for that. So just depending on the person's uh, temperament type and 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 other traits, some makes three days at a great cost. Yeah, it's, yep. it's just, it's very different. Um, it's fun to look at, at the temperament types and, and kind of make a prediction. So I actually came up with a list of unscientific but pretty reliable traits of people with ADHD that helped me in those initial conversations with people who are coming in to talk about their ADHD and they're apprehensive and all this. And there's just some things that seem to go along with ADHD. Like I actually had a written test and it was three questions: what are your favorite soft drinks? Top three. When you go to a Waffle House and you can sit anywhere you want, are you going to sit at a table or somewhere relative to the door? And then, um, have you ever been accused of being OCD and ADD? Do you toss during any kick at night or not move at all? And by and large, at least in the South, you saw a Mountain Dew, Dr. Pepper, and Coke end up one, two, and three at least 75% of the time. Uh, which I don't know what normal is. I didn't validate the yeah. <laughs> um the ADD O C D dynamic was almost always present, at least in people who were in high school or older, because they were just tired of getting yelled at. Then as far as where to sit in the Waffle House, it just almost inevitably the person with ADHD is hyper vigilant and just has a I guess a warrior mindset or or defender mindset. To go to the back booth with their back to the wall so they can have the full domain of the line of sight if somebody came in with a gun or something. Just strange stuff that seemed to correlate. When I would bring this up to them, it it was just kind of lighthearted, but it's a way to kind of bring tension and allow them to feel connected that they weren't so different. Like, yeah, very different from the middle of the bell curve average person in society with an average brain, but very alike. Their unknown family of brothers and sisters who had the same Mm -hmm. struggle.
1: Two things I want to get to for sure. Something you brought up there is you said they're OCD. I don't know. They're hypervigilant, probably tired of getting yelled at. Tell me more about this. When I meet other people with an ADHD diagnosis, completely regardless of whether they got that diagnosis when they were 10 or 15 or 35, there's a theme of Greater insecurity, more struggle with self-worth, more more trouble knowing that they can reach goals that they've set for themselves. The whole idea of self-efficacy seems to be just a little further out of reach for those with ADHD. Do you have the same perception? And if so, what reasons do you think are associated with that?
0: Really glad you asked that because if someone listening were to forget everything else we talked about the the one take home point about ADHD that I think is the least understood by people who have it or are related to somebody with it. Yeah, people with ADHD may lose their keys, they may show up late or a hundred other annoying habits that cause friction with others or themselves. But none of those compare to the top three symptoms of ADHD, which are pretty much invisible until you see them from a thirty thousand foot view. And even though the information's been around since the nineteen fifties, we owe a lot to uh Bill Dodson, who is a psychiatrist in Denver, who spent the better part of his career patiently explaining to the world of psychiatry, the top three symptoms of ADHD, especially in adults. And he would make the point, only 5% of psychiatrists are trained in adult ADHD. Pediatrics, yes. Adult ADHD, not so much. Maybe that's changed. But the top three symptoms are shame, guilt, and the fear of rejection or rejection-sensitive dysphoria, mm-hmm. which literally means the unbearable weight of rejection. So unless you thrive on rejection, yeah. it sucks. So what yeah. I see that play out as you and I definitely know probably the most most people that you and I know as providers who have ADHD are probably very high performers. Agree. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, especially given your, your background in uh, athletics and whatnot. And so a lot of the drive unconsciously for people with ADHD like myself And I would say in the over a decade I spent treating TRICARE patients and noticing that every pilot had ADHD as a kid, uh, every special forces, Navy SEAL, Ranger, uh, Marines, bar none, most of them officially diagnosed, no problems in a combat zone, but problems coming back. So the shame, guilt, and fear of rejection runs so deep that the youngest living Medal of Honor recipient, uh, Kyle Carpenter talks about having hallucinations when he was uh, in a medically induced coma. He dove on a grenade, saved his platoon, nearly blew his jaw off. And I remember hearing him talk about the recovery and having these awful hallucinations. But in the moment, he would know to dismiss them because, oh, I'm still under you know the influence. And so this is just a hallucination. But he couldn't shake one. And it was where he hallucinated that he was watching his own funeral and feeling like he let his family and friends down after jumping on a grenade. Like, what would have to happen for us to not feel like we had let everybody down if that's not enough? Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Dotson gave the reason for that. It's very practical. Okay, so I have ADHD. My brother, at least ADHD, similar situation. Loving, very conservative parents. But growing up, like, there were so many things we were screwing up. And Mm -hmm. Gary, tire shoe. Gary take out the garbage. Did you not clean that up? What do you mean you tried to drive the car through the garage out the other side? All these things that we would do as ADHD kids, not knowing we had it, required corrective statements. And the statistic is three corrective statements, more than the average kid growing up, 20,000 total by the time you graduate high school, your own unconscious brain is going to know that something is off. And you just figure, oh, I'm defective. So if I'm going to survive in the tribe, I need to work so much harder and I need to actually be afraid of being rejected, which leads to a whole lot of other behaviors. I will not get into right now that teenagers yeah. will tend to do to, to get mm-hmm. social acceptance. Um, it's the whole thing, but it's also what drives us in medicine to overperform.
1: Yeah. I have never really heard that explained in that way. And all of it, you know, absolutely resonates with me. I think that for me, I remember always getting in trouble. And there's something about what the adult assumes the intent in. And and I think that that plays a role. So I know that for me, as a parent of an ADHD child, it's very easy somehow when she does something that others may think is ridiculous, right? Like we have told her to do whatever it is a thousand times, but I've got, that's why I have this close association, it's like, oh, well, I remember being a child and leaving, like not not closing the milk. I still do it, right? I'm 41 years old. I can't close the top on the milk. And it's a pretty
0: it's, complex device. So I tell you but that.
1: But I think these are real issues, right? And so you end up doing all of these really terrible things, right? To your parents or your teachers or whatever. They're like, gosh, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? And you don't know why. And I think that, that that really is it, right? So I've seen patients, you know, as a clinician who have really struggled with, with OCD and their OCD feels somehow different than my OCD, right? It's almost it's, like, like my hypervigilance is something that I have created on purpose to try to protect me from doing whatever this, you know, this bad thing is.
0: Right. Because I
1: never know when I'm going to get in trouble for next, right? And same thing with like, you know, I would say that I have some degree of social anxiety. I don't think it's because I'm organically anxious for some reason. It's because I've been to parties, gone home, thought I had a great time, and then find out that someone's upset with me the next day. Because I, I don't know, I said something or I interrupted them or I did something rude. And I just have no recollection or concept of that. And so I do think that there's a lot of communication that could be had, an understanding that could be had from, you know, teachers and parents and partners. You know, once we're getting older of your ADHD person that you that you love and care about and interact with might have different intent than what you would have to have to leave the milk half on uncapped. Right. Well,
0: it's like making the bed. Why make the bed? I'm just going to get back in it tonight. <laughs> So what well, the good news is ADHD has been around as long as humans have been around. And not sure. get into the particular thing that I, I do nerd out on, which is paleoanthropology. I didn't study it in college. I have studied it via Discovery Channel since, but there's <laughs> there's a huge connection. When you look at uh, when when hominids first came out of Africa, the most highly migratory human groups to leave Africa while the cro state in sub saharan Africa, the other groups seem to have all the traits that are now being seen as ADHD because they had to have them. So let's say you're one of the early inhabitants of Europe during an ice age. You have to have great three-dimensional spatial awareness or you fall off a cliff and your genetic line dies with you. You have to have great impulsivity to throw that spear at the little white bunny mm-hmm. that you see in the snowdrift. How in the world you saw a white rabbit in the snowdrift goes back to the hypervigilance. The impulsivity to throw the spear and eat versus not throw it and die don't fit well in modern society because you just said that thing that you thought before you filtered it. And even though what you said is yeah. true, it didn't land right. So even, even procrastination. So they say like the early Europeans had spears that were made for close quarters. Uh, stabbing in a group of whatever beast was going to be dinner, whereas subterranean Africans had spears for throwing. Well, I of use that as a metaphor for how we do time. If I have a project that's doing four weeks, well, that means I have 27 days before I get started. So the good news is every aspect of ADHD has been fully mapped. We know exactly where the problems are, where we're different from other people and where we're not. So instead of having these blind spots, we can now illuminate them. Yeah. And to quote G.I. Joe, knowing it's half the battle, So once you know exactly what ADHD (laughs) is, these areas of executive function, it really is a, I've seen the relief in my patients in just one hour explaining what ADHD is exactly and how this shows up in day-to-day life and how they're not like any, or they're not different from any one of us. And that fortunately generations going back to uh, Alexander Crichton, Scottish Mm -hmm. physician at Tutsch University who who articulated what ADHD was in 1879, I think. And you can still pull up this description of ADHD today in the stacks and you can find a description of your kid right there from over 100 years ago. That's awesome. So what are the odds of all the generations who've had ADHD and all those people trying to figure out a way not to lose their keys, their wallet, their daily carry? What are the odds of no one figuring out a successful way? Well, probably zero. What are the odds that all those methods work? Zero. So there's probably a few that worked really well and probably a few conscientious folks who wrote those methods down and then they started getting filtered through the academic world. So now you got what we call behavioral modification, not a really sexy term, but behavioral modification would be like the antidote to that deficit to our executive function, those blind spots. Yeah, we don't lack executive function. We're just 30 percent to 40 percent behind our peers until they're specifically trained in one at a time, not two at a time, one at a time yep. through known habits that work with daily habits over a month until it's something you can't not do. So with ADHD, it needs somebody to coach that along. That's what behavioral Modification yep. is. It's that simple. It's not therapy. It's here's our problem. Here's a known solution. Let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's just find a way to remember to do this every day by having a physical reminder in your line of sight, maybe on your bathroom counter. And it reminds you every day, oh, yeah, uh, I need to write down my daily plan in a little yeah. pocketbook that stays in my pocket with me uh, like my life depends on it. Yeah. And so one by one by one, all those problems get solved. And they're usually not dissolved to the average human brain level. Yeah, They're solved to a point where they've been consciously cultivated and now they're exceptional habits.
1: That's a fantastic point. I mean, it really plays into a lot of the things that I love. About having ADHD, I love having ADHD. I think that it comes with this this whole set of qualities that make me really special. Even though I sounds right. so arrogant, right? But I feel like I am that impulsivity makes me so quick to, you know, bring someone in and 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 make friends and make someone comfortable or to try something that might be really scary. You know, with this inverse. Um, on one hand, I'm super confident. and on the other hand, I'm concerned I can't do anything. You know, it's just, it creates a dynamic where I interact with my world in a, in a way that I just would never want to change. So Gary, I have to be just shamelessly honest with you and say that when I first noticed your comment on my thread, my first thought was, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I need in my life. I've been looking for an executive coach, you know, for myself. I've been looking for an executive coach for my daughter. I live in Maryland for those of you who don't know. Um, and I have access to primary care through a direct primary care that I have found. Um, I have access to psychiatrists in my social circle, not anyone that, you know, that isn't so close to me that I feel comfortable actually going to them for medical advice. And then the people that I don't know, there's a, You know, six month wait or what have you. But for me, it's not so much about the medication because in my belief system, and you may disagree, but in my situation, I feel more comfortable, um, with the efficacy that's shown in the stimulant medications. And that really narrows down, uh, the choices quite a lot. Uh, but for me, it's really been, how do I teach my daughter these executive functioning skills? I can do the best that I can. I think I'm in a really great position as someone who's learned and, you know, grew up with the same, with similar struggles and has found a way to be successful in life. But at the end of the day, I'm her mom, right? <laughs> so so the idea of having access to a coach like you is fantastic. And um, I know that I found you on LinkedIn and I fully expect now that we have connected professionally to reach out and you know see if there's an opportunity to work with you in this coaching realm. Um, but do you work with people or do you work with adults or kids or how does that work for you in your practice?
0: I'll work with anybody. It seems to work better from high school, like senior in high school on, and maybe not even that senior summer because their ADD is not really to them such a painful thing. It <laughs> will hit with a vengeance that freshman year, for sure, at least by the end of sure. the semester. So, yeah, if I had to pick a niche of who I wanted to target as far as ADHD coaching, that I think my gifts and abilities and life experience might benefit me most, it would be entrepreneurs or business founders, especially those in the medical field, mm-hmm. uh, especially clinicians. So, yeah, anybody who's in the medical field, uh, as far as physician, advanced nurse practice, anybody there. So you can find me most easily at bullet, coaching dot com. So think Sandra Bullock, adhd dot com, and then my email, if for some reason or rather email, is Doctor B, not B as in Bullock, at bullet, Okay.
1: All right. I will put those in the show notes. I'm also going to go through and put together, you know, some of the. The doctors and the lectures that you referenced, because I think that's a really valuable uh, resource for, especially for clinicians with ADHD, because we want to know everything there is to know about it. I would love to have you back on sometime. I would love sure. to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, things like pharmacology, even things as simple as what, you know, what does that diagnosis look like? I know when I was diagnosed, it was in Germany and you could only get diagnosed at an academic center. You couldn't do it at a community doctor. And so I had to go through and there were, you know, all sorts of organic tests that had to be done to make sure that there wasn't some sort of biological cause. And then we went back to my childhood. It was a whole deal. But I would love to, you know, just go through What you think are reasonable ways to go about this? Because I've heard it all from my experience to my, uh, my kid's doctor had him fill out this one sheet of paper and then they, then he gave me a bunch of drugs. Right. So
0: I'll just, we can talk about the details later, but just so the people know, there is no more mystery. There, there's been established protocols that you can find easily on the academy of pediatrics, family medicine copies. By and large, the same thing, but there's actually a movement underway at Columbia to put more specifics on adult ADHD as far as practice standards. But it's a very clear-cut algorithm, and it is not that complicated. You've got whatever age-related test that's been validated where you answer, like, for the adult self-rating scale, 18 questions. And if you get so many this, whatever, which you fill out on yourself, somebody from your home fills out on you, and somebody who knows you outside the home fills out on you. But then in a structured clinical interview, somebody who knows what tick boxes to check off are looking for those traits and then your history before the age of 12 and for you know. the actual dysfunction and for subtleties that may not come out in such a checklist thing to add some in- intuition and, and uh, knowledge to that. Then to discern if the anxiety or depression are causing ADHD symptoms yeah. novelly as an adult. Or if, in more cases than not, <clears throat> they're resulting from the untreated ADHD, et cetera. So those things are already set. We know what they are. Yep. Um uh, The training may be lacking. And I'd love to see a yep. fellowship in behavioral medicine uh happen in family medicine one day, like one year. Yeah,
1: that would be interesting. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, I don't
0: I'm good to go. Sure. I'm ready to start one. Uh, but yeah, we can talk more about that later. And certainly anybody who wants to just reach out and talk about it and get some kind of, uh, whether I do coaching or not, I'll take calls all day long to help find yeah. a clinician in their area. Usually it's pretty easy to suss out who has a personal vested interest in ADHD and is some more reading and will treat them right with respect in whatever town they're in and then help them find a coach or just yeah. do the assessment and get them set up to coach themselves until they can get a coach. So, yep. yeah, I'm accessible. For yeah, sure.
1: I, think it's a, I think it's a great thing. And for anybody who's on the fence about. Oh, is that real? Is that, is that a real offer? Is this a real resource? It is. You know, message them, send them an email, and we all stick together. We know what it's like. And, uh, and you're just, you've been a, a great resource for me and an easy person to talk to. And I just, I really appreciate you. you coming on.
0: Right back at you. Like, I really appreciate the uh, effort you went through to, to respond to the initial, uh, message on LinkedIn and then the yeah. conversation <laughs> after that, and then to allow me to be part of this uh, podcast you got. So, yeah, great. I'm always here.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, we'll have you back on soon. Thanks, Gary. All right.
0: Thank you.
2: Thanks so much for listening to Get Med Savvy Podcast. To see what we're up to, check us out at www.tiffanyrider.com.